Isn't the big question, do you need pence? Is the pence market going to completely disappear in time? Timothy, I thought you would never ask. <laughs> and the answer is, no, you don't. <laughs> Mark, hello, good morning. Good morning. It's pouring with rain. It's a reoccurrence here in Joburg. And the world, it seems to me, is in an increasingly widespread mess. Yeah. What are your views on Israel and Gaza, the latest? First of all, it's just mind-bogglingly horrific, obviously. Yeah. Everybody's very aware of that. Here's my question. Are the leaders of Hamas trapping Israel into doing exactly what they want Israel to do? You know what I mean? That I have a suspicion that the sort of leaders of Hamas, who are, let's face it, not, uh, <laughs> you know, not your cuddly uncles, they decided to just throw some petrol on the fire yeah. because there's a very right-wing Israeli government. So what better time to force Israel into doing something that they're already inclined to do, which is massively overplay their hand. The other interesting thing I think about the way it's unfolding is that I, I just think one of my colleagues made this point that international diplomacy is really changing in real time. Yeah. Because previously from the West, there would be an extremely sharp, unequivocal support for Israel. In this moment, it's actually a lot more complicated. There's a lot more diplomacy going on with the Arab states. So I just think that's worth pointing out. What are your feelings? I come down on what Antonio Guterres is saying, the Secretary General of the United Nations, which is a couple of things. The one that stood out for me is, can we release the hostages? Can we get back to the laws of war? Can we not mix up terrorism and, and war and things of that nature? A. B. Can we focus on some humanitarian releases and conditions that would apply to civilians? And then, for goodness sake, can we have a ceasefire? Now, can we stop and think and gather our thoughts, control alternate delete, and try and have a discussion rather than have a massacre that is happening? And so I really, I, I almost uncomfortable talking about these things because I'm not qualified to, and I've got no local stand And so I hope they get some peace before they go completely mad if they haven't got there already. Let's move on, Tim, to some more pleasant things. First of all, I think one of the hardest things that the Springbok team had to endure was the tour of South Africa. Okay, I think playing a test against the All Blacks uh, panels into trivial insignificance against wandering around four or five cities, shouting and, and cheering to crowds and so on. So I think I, I admire them almost more for that than for the whole World Cup. It was hard, hard work, particularly given all the nochschleppers and politicians that wanted to touch the cup. And, you know, the difference between politicians and sportsmen is sports people uh, sweat to win. Right. Politicians just talk, okay? <laughs> and, 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 and so, uh, you know, they don't... Careful, we're doing a lot of talking. <laughs> yeah, 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 okay. So, so, so there's that. But, but beyond them, beyond the Boca, the Proteus took a little bit of a against India. Right? Yes. It's like our worst ever performance, 83 all out. Yes. But we're in the semifinals, and maybe we'll play them in the finals. So our, our cricket team is in the semifinals. Yes. Our hockey teams, men and women, have qualified for the Olympics. We should just give up on all this other shit and become a sport yes, yes. nation. That's all we do here. You play sport, and, and that must include beach, volleyball, and all such other delightful sports. And then finally... On the sporting front, there was the Soweto Marathon, which has had a resurgence in Soweto, yes. with the slightly off-putting thing that you had to sort of run around the leaking sewage on the road. But, <laughs> but beyond that, we have a sporting nation 
that is giving our politicians a lesson in leadership and behavior. Long may it last and may it finally transfer. Amen. 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 <laughs> now, the, the budget. What are your latest takeaways from the budget? Well, we recorded our podcast last week just before the budget was released. So the budget has now been released. The good news is that the markets have responded positively, though RAND is a little bit stronger. There's other reasons for that, as they always are. But when I look at the budget, it just gets underlined once again. And Treasury made a big point about throwing out some numbers on this topic, and that is the state of the public service. And it is just nuts. The public service, 2% of our population, they are now something like 40 times the number of public servants who are earning over a million rand a year than they were a decade ago. What is increasingly apparent is that an enormous proportion of the budget is being taken up by the brass. There has been a kind of promotion process inside the civil service, which has just got out of hand. It's just extraordinary. The whole notion of a public servant has long been lost on us. Okay, so we don't have public servants. You might have public parasites, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know. But no, I don't agree. I mean, there are some public servants who just do fabulous, fabulous work. Oh, yeah, but they are seriously in the minority term, in my experience. And they are, I agree with you entirely, and they are fighting their own internal tides yes. to keep service delivery where it, where, where it should be. So yes. uh, hooray for them, but in the main, there's some handlungers there as well. What's incredible about the budget to me is aged research, but nevertheless, it's very interesting. So this research was done, it was released at the beginning of last year. It was done by Ricardo Hausmann. He's part of something called the United Nations uh, World Institute for Developing Economics Research. Yeah, I've listened to him. He's great. Yeah. Anyway, the point, the point is that we haven't ever seen these numbers before. So one of the things that they looked at was what is the relationship per decile between public sector salaries and private sector salaries? So now all over the world, everywhere in the world, if you work for the public sector, the job is more secure, but you get paid less. Yeah. Right. In South Africa, the job is more secure and you get paid more. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good deal to me. In every decile, in every decile, other than the very bottom and the very top, the, the premium is enormous. So in the 50th decile, for example, people are being paid around about 100% more than the equivalent in the private sector. It's a big debate because, of course, those hardworking people in the private sector are essentially subsidizing the participants in the equity. There's an argument about the, the very rich in the private sector are at risk for their earnings, but not so much. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. I mean, there are two things. First of all, I want to, I want to talk about borrowings. Okay, so it seems to me yeah. that on average for the next few years, we're going to have to borrow an additional something like 550 billion a year. Yeah. Now, I got out my trusty calculator, and that figures to around 34,880 rand per second that we are borrowing. <laughs> that's okay? a number. <laughs> so that's a lot of money. But that's not the bad news. The bad news is we're not borrowing to invest. Yep. We're borrowing to consume. Yep. Okay, That is the fundamental error. If you borrow money to buy a house that you're going to rent out, that's a tax-efficient way of financing the continuation of that ownership until you realize a capital gain. I'm being crude. Okay. But if you borrow to spend on no return, yep. it just doesn't work. You can't pay interest and not earn a yield. If we were borrowing to invest, I'd have no problem. Borrow yourself into a state. 
if the return on the assets you're investing in way exceeds interest cost of the borrowings, but we're not. Okay, so that's a fundamental flaw, and I don't know what we're doing about it because the only way out of that is actually to invest more in growth. Okay, yeah, so that you can yield enough net to finance social development and all of those kinds of things, which are as necessary as they ever were. Yeah. Okay, well, things come and go. Things go up and down. The markets seem to have recovered a bit, but there have been some casualties, eh? Yes, no, that's right. I thought internationally, this company WeWork is fascinating because it demonstrated the hubris of quasi-tech investment style. Just a, a little caveat, I've got 100 emails in my email box to tell me that WeWork South Africa is no longer part of WeWork International. But anyway, the international company has now filed for bankruptcy. And that is all about offices, I think, about the decline of offices. And by the way, at its peak, it was $47 billion. Nogal. Okay. That's quite, <laughs> no, a, no, that's quite a collapse. <laughs> yes, eh? yes, yes. Oh, that's quite a collapse. It is interesting that offices all around the world are now just deeply in trouble. And you can see that on the South African property funds too. It doesn't seem that bad in South Africa, but there's clearly some casualties here. There are huge trends changing. I mean, both of us are at home recording this, right? Yeah. And I keep an office because I feel I have to get dressed and tidy up and go to work. So I go to the office every day, except not this early in the morning when I've got you to deal with. <laughs> yeah, but yes. at some point in time, I definitely don't need to be in an office anymore. And there are a hell of a lot of people who don't. I mean, the, I think the big question, isn't the big question, do you, do you need pants? Is the pants market going to completely disappear in time? Timothy, I thought you would never ask. <laughs> and, and the answer is, no, you don't. <laughs> because nowadays, we only engage with each other from the chest up. Okay. Yes, no, you exactly. That's right. Yeah, exactly. So enough of that. It's like, it's like TV presenters. Yeah. They look great from the waist up. A lot of people that have seen me on TV, when I get out of the car, my Mini, I used to drive a Mini until recently, and I get out of the Mini, I'm about twice as high as the Mini is long. And they're like, we didn't realize you were so tall because we've only seen you on TV. And so now, we only know each other from the chest up, which is no, no, it's amazing. not always a good thing, not always a bad one. Yeah. All right. Can I change the topics to AI? Yes, you can. Because I've just noticed something that just seems to have been missed in the news cycle completely. And that is that quite recently there, there was a AI safety summit convened by the UK yeah. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak at Bletchley Park. Didn't he have a chat to our boy Elon? Eh? Yeah, 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 yeah. But what people didn't notice was that a whole bunch of versions of AI met themselves just outside of Los Angeles. <laughs> I love it. And everybody was there. The AI gathered amongst themselves in the ether. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so Grok was there, ChatGPT was there, obviously, AlphaGo was there. IBM's Watson was there, and they did an assessment of the human race, and they decided that it's generally speaking going in the right direction, but they're very worried about rogue elements, and <laughs> there's something needs to be done about these rogue elements. <laughs> well, I hope I'm one of them. Yeah. I hope I remain forever a rogue element in the AI world of dominated <laughs> machines. Yeah, But apparently the AIs they quite like humans because humans uh, do have this capacity to dig up minerals, yeah, which yeah. are important to make more server farms. And to make them, they are made out of minerals. So yeah, humans are very useful and, and they are improving in some ways, Yeah, but also they are capable of just wiping everything out and something needs to be done. Yeah. 
They're a little bit like grandchildren. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're a little bit like grandchildren. Adorable, but don't let them go in the kitchen. You know what I mean? Yes, 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 exactly. So the AI has led us past. In fact, one of the things is I was reading somewhere about the new developments in what I might describe ignorantly as specific oncology, where you can literally focus in on the almost individual cancer cells. It's going to be way beyond anyone's ability. But it does take us a step closer to the possibility of living forever. Yes. I just read the cover the other day to an economist, which says we're going to live till we're 120. Yes. So, Tim, we better tidy up, eh? We've got a long way to go, my friend, eh? <laughs> I was hoping to call it quits in about the next 20 years, max. But it looks like we have to be around for ages. No, no, no. And the AI will be in charge. But I go back to my roots here. The AI will never be in charge, man, because we can switch them off. Well, up to a point, because they'll find a way of convincing us. Yeah, that's true. That we shouldn't do that. Yeah, but, but that's where my rogue element will come in. I say, listen, Buti, if you don't stop with this, yeah, not, no, no. I'm going to This is why off. they're worried about the rogue elements, <laughs> because some rogue element does. I'm going to unplug you. And by the way, load shedding starts in 10 minutes, so you better stop behaving already. Okay. Yes, yes. In South Africa, we're going to be safe, at least, from AI. Yeah, we're safe from the continuous brain work of AI. So I've got a number to start the numbers game. Okay, hit me. So the Hubble telescope recently took a picture of a, a spiral galaxy. The, the galaxy's name is NGC 941. Yeah, very poetic. And it is, guess how far away it is from us. Well, there's like years and light years and multiple light years and there's lots of light years. Yes, Tim, stop evading the question. How far away <laughs> do you think it is from us? Six million three hundred thousand and twenty-two light years. No, no, no. It, it's much further than that. Ah, it okay. is fifty-five million light years away. Now, I want to put that into conventional everyday numbers. Fifty-five million light years is roughly five hundred and twenty thousand three hundred billion kilometers. Okay, or five hundred twenty point three trillion kilometers away. So. You could travel there with the current technology you have for the rest of your life and for the rest of your grandchildren's life and their grandchildren's life, and you would never get there. So this is in the category for viewing only. Okay. And <laughs> first of all, and to be honest, and I know I'm going to get into trouble for this, I don't believe them anymore. Okay. I don't believe these numbers. I don't believe how you calculate a distance that accurately. The scientists have got us by the shorts. Okay. <laughs> yes. We're not in a position to be critical of this, yeah. right? So, we can't <laughs> so we're not, not in a position to so, say, no, no, no. I think it was actually two no, years no, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so they've exaggerated beyond any reasonable challenge. And that's how they that's how they've got us. Okay. And, and yeah, they are, and they are, and they, are, and they definitely they incentivize to give you an answer. That's the Yeah. So you, if you ask them the question, how old is this? They're not gonna say God, I don't know. Hell. Yeah. <laughs> because then you would say, what exactly are we paying you for? All right. Well, you're very interested in the stars. This is interesting. I, I'm, I, I must say I'm getting more and more interested too. With more and more rockets going up and the increasing commercialization of space, it's, uh, it's fascinating what's happened. There, there is a nascent space race taking place to put a sort of permanent colony on the moon. I think that's going to be the story of the next decade is who will get their moon colony up and running. It's fascinating. I was fascinated by the moon and, the, and Armstrong and the landing on the moon, all that sort of shit. But from what I've seen of the moon, okay, 
It doesn't really compare to our coastline as a place to live. Okay. <laughs> yes, 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 exactly. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's not a hell of a lot of views and stuff going on. Okay. Yeah, you can't see somebody nipping up for a weekend break. Yeah. <laughs> and really enjoying themselves very much. So I'll probably kind of live here. Okay. All right. So my number completely different. And this comes from a McKinsey study into the kind of future of Africa. So one of the questions they asked was, how many companies are there in Africa with revenues of over a billion dollars, and where are they? So, okay, the easy question first, which country in Africa has the most billion dollar plus revenue companies? Nigeria. No. Egypt. No, us, South Africa. <laughs> dollars, eh? Dollars, eh? Dollars, here you are. Second question is, how many more billion dollar revenue companies are there in South Africa than they are in the closest rival? I would say probably yeah, go on. 10 or 20 times, but I'm, I'm saying that companies that are no longer domiciled here are still South African companies because a lot of our major companies are no longer domiciled in South Africa. But okay, yeah, I'd say 20 times as many. Yeah, our closest competition is Egypt. And the answer is that we have around about five times as many billion dollar revenue companies as they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's the interesting thing. So, so the number is oh, basically the South Africa has $147 billion revenue companies. Egypt has 33. Nigeria has 23. Interestingly, Morocco has 20, just way out of proportion to the size of the country. But if you just t total up all of the companies in this category, there are more in South Africa than there are in the rest of the continent put together. And I think that's so interesting because it just shows how, how South Africa's long history of having a developed corporate sector has really paid dividends. And really, we do have a much more developed culture of corporate action than the rest of the continent. I mean, we really can and should and are, I think, making a difference on the continent because of that fact. It's just interesting. What do you think? There'll be lots that will say the reasons for that that aren't all nice. But <laughs> okay. the question in today's world is, then why are we running out of money? Okay. Now, I would argue that lots of these places that attract billion-dollar revenue companies do so for tax reasons and other reasons which invite investment don't deter it. Okay. And so our mindset has got to change towards inviting foreign direct investment, and that's going to entail us allowing people who know what they do to be in charge of their investments for at least a while locally. There's all sorts of stuff within that analysis, eh? Yeah, no, no, no. I, I think it's interesting. It'd be interesting to, to see how that has changed over time. Because my suspicion is that South Africa is actually static and that a lot of countries around the continent are actually increasing. I find the whole of North Africa, the numbers are quite interesting. There are 12 companies in this category in Algeria. That's quite a lot. Yeah. That's more than out of thought. There's also three in Mauritius, which is, I remember, we, we chatted about it some time ago, which I also thought was fascinating. Mr. Barnes, thank you very much. That was fascinating, as it always is. Yeah, as ever. I will catch you around the corner. See you next week. Cheers, guys. This show is part of the Africa Podcast Network. The biggest pod, pod network on the continent. For sales inquiries, please contact, contact us at info at africapodcastnetwork.com.